God's got a plan for your life. We got it on the wall. The Bible says, I know the thoughts and the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We, we know God's got a plan for our life. That doesn't mean, though, that we have the luxury to just sit down and let him work it out. You know, mankind kind of has a tendency to do one of two things. We either sit and expect God to do everything, and I guess, well, if you're really God, then that you're going to handle this mess. Or the other side is that we try to do everything on our own without God. We don't talk to God. We don't get insight from God. We don't get revelation from God. We just go at it as if we know what we're doing. How many of you realize that most of us, we don't have a clue what we're doing? God's got a plan for our life, and most of the people I talk to don't even know what it is. We don't know what God's plan is. You know, we train our children. We, we try to encourage them, and we mean well, but we sit them down, and we look at them, and we tell them, Johnny, you can do anything you want in life. And that sounds good. But the reality is, is that we need to train our children in the thing that God's created them for so that they can hit the target, so that they can find fulfillment, so that they can know what real life success is about. I believe that you really do have the potential to do anything, and the enemy uses that to your disadvantage. That if you could get in the presence of God and find that God-given destiny and go after that, if you could define the target, it'd be a whole lot easier to hit it. If we set a 1,000 targets up in the room today and gave you a bow and an arrow and said, hit the target, I think one of the first questions would be, which one? What's God's plan for your life? I think you have to get serious and go after that and find what God has called and created you to do so that you really know fulfillment. See, we often in church, you know, one of the words that we talk about, well, maybe not enough, but, you know, sin. We don't bring up sin very much because it's very offensive. Like, like I care, but, uh, but uh, here, here's the deal. Sin is an archery term. It simply means to miss the mark. When they would sh- take the bow and arrow and they'd shoot the arrow at the target, it, it, when they hit the target, it's a strike. When they miss the target, it's called sin. So it, when sin comes in your life, it's, you're just simply, you've missed the target. Well, in the spirit realm, we need to become, you know, just spiritual marksmen. You know, sharpshooters for Jesus. We ought to be able to consistently hit the target. You need to be able to hit the target. Well, what does that mean? That you can do what he said. See, we, we know that when we do what he said, he produces what he promised. Every single time. Say it with me. Every single time. Say it again. Every single time. God doesn't back off his word. The word of God tells us that his word will not return into him void, but without accomplishing the very purpose for which he sent it forth to, to accomplish. God, God's word's coming through for you. And guys, what's so awesome about that is that if God has a plan for your life, it's to prosper you. It's to give you hope and future. Well, you don't even have to worry about increase and prosperity. You don't even have to worry about hope and future. All you got to do is walk in that plan. You just got to allow God to direct your steps because his plan is to prosper you. He's not going to hurt you. God's not trying to harm you. He's trying to help you. He's not out to put you down. He's out to pick you up, right? Oh, look at somebody and say, man, I'm glad you're here. I want us to look at Galatians chapter 4, 
verses 8 and 9. It says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now, verse 9, help me. There, but now, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? He's he's writing to a church and he's saying, guys, now that you're known by God, isn't that kind of cool? Not only do you know God, but God knows you. And now that you're known by God, you've got this relationship. Why would you turn back to the weak and miserable forces that ruled your life beforehand? We've been talking about forces that form your future. You got to realize that the future that God has for you, you're going to have to allow the forces from God to operate in your life so that you can get to the place where the future that he's planned for you is prepared. And we, we have all kinds of forces in our life that, that are forming our future. Last week, we talked about the force of excuses. And, you know, we, we come up with all kinds of excuses. You cannot use excuses and expect to have the future that God planned for you. If you, you can't come up with excuses why you don't do what God's Word tells you to do. Those got to be the motivation, man, the motivation to do what God's told you to do. And we, we read about guys that, you know, well, I just bought some property or I just got some oxen or I just got married. And all of these excuses were the blessing of God. You can't let the blessing of God separate you from the will of God. You got to use the blessing of God to motivate you to complete God's will in your life. It's, there's a reason. You, you know, I know it's hard. I know it sometimes, especially in our society. And, and, and dude, the, 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 the pace, the calendar, you know, our kids who are walking around with day planners. They got, you know, practices and, and games and school and, and, and all, all of this stuff. And life is at such a hectic pace that if we're not careful, we find ourselves living in a zone where we don't even have time for God. Well, be sharp enough to recognize that could be the enemy's strategy to separate you from God's plan. Don't go back to those miserable forces. Don't let something like excuses shape your future. You're not going to have a collision with the plan of God by making excuses for not doing the Word of God. It ain't going to happen. You've got to toughen up, buttercup. Right? Come on, you, you got to get your big boy pants on and, and, and you, you, you got to get serious about going after the things of God. No more excuses. No more reasons why I can't. You got to go get it because God has empowered you to do some amazing things for the kingdom of God. Sometimes to us, it just looks, you know, like, like our life doesn't matter. That's the enemy lying to you. You make a difference. Your life is significant, and you've got to make sure that you are actually participating in the right life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have and enjoy life in abundance to the top till it overflows that you might have god life life as god has it the 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 life of god operating and flowing in you and it'll take you to a place where it's not a different level of life it's an absolutely different lifestyle altogether it's just a totally different lifestyle and you know without god you kind of are on your own aren't you storms come Chaos happens, and you just got to kind of, you know, muddle your way through there and try to figure something out, and, and, and you know, uh, may, maybe we can make good of this, or maybe we can't, and, and we, just, we just deal with it however we can. In God life, and the storm comes and chaos hits, and you don't even look at that. I mean, you, it's not that we're asking you to ignore the existence of trouble. We're just asking you to realize that it has nothing to do with the final outcome. 
God's word. Everything starts with words. Words turn into thoughts. Thoughts turn into emotions. Emotions make your choices. Your choices determine your actions. Your actions determine your habits. Your habit develops your character. Your character connects you to an end result. All through the Bible, God's word paints pictures of the end result. He's responsible for the word and for the end result. You're responsible for thinking like God thinks, feeling like God feels, choosing like God chooses, and all the way through till you develop a character that is godly. Right? We're just going to live like God. The way that he would handle it, that's how we're going to handle it. Well, how did Jesus handle storms? He usually slept through them. By the way, if you're ever invited to go on a boat ride with Jesus, better think twice. Because everybody ends up in some kind of a storm, you know, some kind of a mess. Walking with God is not free of resistance or opposition. Matter of fact, it almost guarantees it. Because it's a distraction to try to get you to miss the mark. But you don't have to miss the mark. You can still hit the mark. I don't care what's happened in your life up to date. I don't care if you're working on your seventh marriage or your 13th bankruptcy or, you know, you got a habit that you've quit 200 times and you've been born again, again, and again, and again. It doesn't make any difference what's happened in the past if you get on track with God now, today. You can strike the mark. You can ring the bell for God. You can do what God's called you and created you to do. Amen? You, you know, guys, it, it's, it, it's incredible what God can do in your life if you let him. Most of the time we try to cover up and pretend like the mistakes that were our fault didn't really happen and the mistakes that were other people's fault are on a big screen somewhere and we're making excuses for why we're not doing what God's called us to do. Let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 in the Message Bible. It says, I know what I'm doing. Listen to God. God says, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. The, the other side of that coin is you don't know what he's doing. You know, uh, uh, one writer in the book put it this way. He said, you are God in heaven, and here I am on earth, so I'll let my words be few. He said, God, you've got a big picture. I, I really don't have a clue, so I'll let you be God. God knows what he's doing. Just a side note, if you complain a lot, complaining is a communication that you believe you could do a better job. Yeah, I know we want to point things out in life and in situations. And, and uh, Well, look, that's not right. You got, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Even things that are done to you that aren't right are not going to impact the end that God declared at the beginning. God knows what he's doing. And God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And either you believe it or you don't. And if you're running through life complaining and whining, you are saying to God, hey, I could do a better job here. We, sh we should probably just pray and go home right about there. God says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the, uh, the future that you hope for. God, God, God put the hope in you, and he knows how to produce it through you. Look at the next verse. It says that when you seek me, when you call on me, when you come and pray to me, he said, I'll listen. Guys, what a great promise from God. When you call me, 
I'm going to listen. When you come to pray to me, I'm going to listen. Look at the next verse. It says, when you come looking for me, you're going to find me. When you get serious about finding me, when you want finding me more than anything else, look at what he says. I'll make sure you're not disappointed. I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. I'll turn things around for you. Oh, guys, that's the shouting line. Uh, you know, in a Pentecostal church, they'd be waving hankies and dancing in circles. That's crazy good news. That God said, you know, when you come after me, when you seek me, when, when you call on me, when you get serious, you won't be disappointed. I'll turn. Th- Can you imagine? I mean, really, if you get a revelation of God speaking to you and he says, I'll turn things around for you. God, who made the entire thing, is going to come and invest in your thing? Psalms 118, the Lord is on my side. That, that don't mean he's on my team. He's on my side. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not alone. I, I like to think about it this way. I got help. Look at your neighbor and say, you need help. I know, you've been wanting to say that all day. Tell him again. You need, I mean it, man. You're, you're desperate. You need help. <laughs> So what we do in in our humanistic mindset is that either we forget that God's got a plan and that he's going to make sure we're not, that he's going to turn it around. Either we forget that or we sit down and say, okay, have at her. Here's the end that God's word promised at the beginning. Here's the picture. We're not disappointed. Everything's turned around. There's the end result that God's promised. We got his word. It's defining the end result. So what we're responsible for now is the way we think, the way we feel, the way we make our choices, the, the actions that we, that we involve ourselves into. Consistent actions turn into habits. Those habits are going to develop the character, get the right character, and we're going to end up at the place where what God promised is being produced in our life. So we've got to guard our heart. We've got to think right so that we can feel right, so that we can choose right. We've we got, we got to think right. We can't be thinking that God has lost control, that everything's out of control. Look, look you know, let's just take household salvation. You know, a lot of times that mothers are, 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 have such a heart for the kids, and, and they see their kids, that, and, and they're living in a fashion that, oh, my God, that can't be godly, and, and, and they get concerned about the kid. No, stop and think correctly, that if you do what God told you to do, all your children shall be taught of the Lord. Great shall be the peace of your children. Acts 16, 31, that when you put your entire trust in the master Jesus, you'll live life the way you're supposed to and your whole house too. Yeah, but they're not. No, you're thinking wrong. See, you're looking at the middle and God wants you to focus on the end. God wants you to recognize that no matter what happens, his word will not return into him void, that you will not be disappointed if you put your entire trust in him. Disappointment. Let's talk about words for a minute. Dis, the prefix. Dis means to push down or press out of. Appointment. An appointment is a position that contains power, authority, anointing. It's a, think about the, the president and his office. That's an appointed office. And in that office, he has insane authority and power. Outside of that, even though they still call him president, you know, President Bush, he still, they still refer to him as President Bush, but he does not have the authority or the power 
the influence that he had when he was in that appointed office. The power belongs to that appointment. See, if the enemy can disappoint you with your children, then you'll be pushed out of your position of authority and influence and, and anointing over your children. If the enemy can disappoint you on the job, you won't have the authority and the anointing to do what God's called you to do. That's why the enemy's doing everything he can to get you to look at stuff that is not the issue so that you become disappointed in life. See, if you begin to make excuses for not doing what God's called you to do, you end up disappointed with the end result because you are expecting God to do what he promised without realizing that you have a role to play. Look at verse... uh, 12, Jeremiah 19, when you call on me, when you come and pray to me, look at 13, when you come looking for me, when you get serious, four times, when you, I'm here today to tell you and remind you that when you do what he said, he'll produce what he promised. If you're disappointed today, you, you haven't been looking for God. You've been looking at what's wrong. If you're disappointed today, you haven't gotten serious about finding him and wanting him more than anything else, you've tried to control situations. And you've ended up disappointed because it didn't go the way that you think it should. But God knows what he's doing. You don't. He's got a bigger picture than you do. He's, he, he's got a greater understanding than you do. Yeah, but I thought that's the problem. You thought wrong. Oh, great, I came to church today, and you know what they told me? I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, I'm here today to tell you that God wants to turn things around. See, what happens is that we have an expectation, and then we have a reality. And when expectation and reality collide, the door to disappointment opens up. The level of disappointment is based on the, the, the separation between the real and the ideal. If your expectation is low, you know, then you're hard to disappoint. And I'm not telling you you should just lower your expectations. I'm telling you you need to understand how disappointment works. How many times have we as Christians heard people make statements like this? I'm treated better by people in the world than I am by people in the church. Well, that's the truth. Because your expectation of people at a bar is nothing like your expectation out of people at a church. When I, you know, I almost said, when I go to the bar, <laughs> well, I have a confession to make. <laughs> Here's the deal, man. You, 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 you belly up to the bar and sit down. And some guy steals your wallet and, and, and the keys to your car and, you, and, and your wife and, and, and your money. I've listened to Western music. I know what's happening. Yeah, and you're not disappointed. You go, duh, they just sang 14 songs about it. You know, but you come to church and, and expectation of, of a Christian is, is that he would always do whatever you want. Come on, the expectation. I, you know, we, we're dealing with people right now, Todd and I, you know, I, 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 just, a, just a little business dealing with a guy in California who thinks that, well, you know, and I'm having to assume what he thinks, but I'm pretty sure he thinks, well, you're a pastor and he's a Christian. You guys are just limp-wristed, sissified church people. I'm going to fly down there and choke the guy out for Jesus. You know, you know 
Let's just pray about that and get an agreement where two or three are gathered. You know, but it changes between people groups, you know, because you guys look at, a, look at a preacher, expectations are so stinking high. And then you hang out with me and find out, oh, my God, he needs help. Because he, we thought we, he was joking. He actually went down there and choked the guy out, put a Jesus sticker on his forehead. The level of separation between the real and the ideal determines the amount of disappointment that will occur in your life. And when you become disappointed, the next step in the process is offense. Because now you're going to make an excuse for why you didn't do what God told you to do. So you think disappointment is based on happenings and other people. But we just read out of the book that disappointment is based on your lack of calling on God, seeking God, being serious and going after God. Kind of changes the picture, doesn't it? Just a little bit. When you're disappointed in your spouse, when you're disappointed in your employment, when you're disappointed in the economy, God, God said, I didn't want you looking at that stuff. I wanted you coming after me. If you come after me, all of these things that are, that are messing you up, oh, Tom, that's Old Testament. Okay, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. Then everything that you're worried about, he said, I'll take care of. Well, now what you going to do? Disappointment is an indicator that we're missing the mark. God has invited us into a relationship that's very relevant and real. Where his presence is operating in our life. We're making excuses for not living there. We, when you make excuses, I guarantee you. You're going to end up disappointed. If you're not seeking God for how to be the best spouse that you can be, if you're not looking for direction and insight and wisdom and understanding and revelation and, you know, from God, you're going to be disappointed in your, in your relationship. I guarantee it. If you're not looking for God on how to build your business or how to be the best employee, if you're not applying the word of God to your life and going out, you will be disappointed. And it won't be long until you're offended. Because you have to be offended or admit it's your issue. See, if it ain't your issue, then it's, then it's Todd. And that gap continues. And, and the continuation of that disappointment is going to lead you to offense. And offense is going to lead you to betrayal. Because you will betray the people who offended you. And betrayal is going to lead to hatred. And if you have to, you'll kill them. You, you'll, you'll eradicate them from your life so that you can't be compared to them. And it's the enemy's... Matter of fact, look, at, give you a... Is it Matthew? Many will be offended. You know the Bible says that it is impossible that offenses don't come. It's impossible. Why? Because we're dealing with people. We're dealing with people. And, you know, what's, our, what's, the, what's the natural response to offense in our culture? I just pack up and leave. I'm out of here. I don't, I don't like the fact that we came in today and they didn't have a chair ready for me. And I'm not suggesting that anybody that came in, I probably should have picked a different scenario. Um, 
but you know, we're, we're disappointed because things weren't the way they were. And then we get offended. We don't realize that had we been seeking God, we would have found out that he probably wanted us to help with children's ministry. And we wouldn't be trying to do it all in one service because we'd have enough workers for multiple services. And then there'd be uh, the chairs, and we wouldn't be disappointed. We'd be totally blown away because God would be bringing people in to fill up the chairs in the second service. Hello, are you, are you feeling me? Just, I don't know how I got off on that. But um, what was I talking about? Offense. Yeah. You know, we, we, end, up, we end up getting offended. Think, think, think about Joseph. Joseph's brothers were disappointed in life. They didn't have a dream. They didn't see a future. Joseph had a dream. So their disappointment moved to offense. Instead of going after God to get their own dream, they were offended by their brother's dream. That offense grew, and they betrayed their brother. They, they put him in a pit, and they, they ripped the coat off of him, and, and, and they, they're, they're going to kill him. That, that betrayal led to a place where they literally hated him. They hated him so much that rather than put him out of his misery, let's sell him into slavery because in their culture, in their society, that's like being among the living dead. That's worse than death. If, if you're not careful, the forces that are forming your future, all they're trying to do is separate you from the end that God promised you. See, the end is your desire. You, if you desire God's promise, a desire is always located at a place. Decisions always lead to a place. So you, you can want something really, really bad. That don't mean you're going to be in the place where it's at. You have to make decisions that will lead to actions that will take you to the place where the thing that you desired is located. God has promised you a future, right? An end result. That desire is out of place. If you make the wrong decisions, you won't be at the place where the thing that God prepared is waiting for you. You might go through life thinking that God didn't produce what he promised. He, just, he did. You just never went there. You ended up someplace else. Now you're disappointed in God. And that disappointment leads to offense. It offends me when, when you say that all my needs shall be met by God. He ain't meeting my needs. Hello? Come on now. You know those people come here on Saturday night. That betrayal is going to lead to hatred and total separation. You can't allow yourself the luxury of making excuses for why you're disappointed. Well, they just ain't treating me right. How's God treating you? What's God got to say? I, I, I know you've talked to your spouse about your boss. You've talked to your friends about your boss. You've talked to your neighbors about your boss. You've talked to your coworkers about the boss. When are you going to talk to God about the boss? I know you're telling everybody how, how, how horrible the economy is. And have you seen the price of gas? No. What, are they stupid? Of course we've seen the price of gas. But that has nothing to do with the end result that God promised us at the beginning. I don't think God's all messed up. If, if gas hits six bucks a gallon, I don't think he's going, oops, <laughs> I don't know what to do now. But we're so adjusted and adapted to living a life that we're allowing other things to dictate our choices. 
So now the economy's seated on the throne of my life and God's taken a back seat. I can't do what God's called me to do because I can't afford it. Well, if you can't afford it, it must be because you've wandered off the trail because the plan is to prosper you. And I think one of the greatest definitions of prosperity is the ability to obey God without second thought. So if God asks you to do something and you can't afford it, it's probably because you're not in the place that God called you to be in. And if you're not in the place, it's not because you didn't have the right desire. It's because you made the wrong decisions. Just saying. Offense, disappointment, offense, betrayal, hatred, they all serve to move you from the place that God has you to a place, any place, other than the place you're supposed to be. Let's look at this. Psalms 1. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Do you believe that? Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Do you believe that? Blessed is the man that doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Do you believe that? Look at verse 2. But his delight. Whose delight? The blessed guy. The blessed man. The blessed man delights the law of the Lord. The blessed man loves God's law. By the way, how does God bless? With his word. You might think it's with a new house. No, that's the result of the blessing. You might think it's with a pay increase. That's the result of the blessing. It's the law of first mention. You go back in the Bible, you find the first place that God blessed somebody, you trail it all the way through the Bible, and if it keeps reoccurring, then this is the process for which God uses to do something. To, to bless, the word bless means to be positioned to win or succeed in any given situation. When did it start? In the garden with Adam and Eve. God put them in the garden, and he blessed them and said. How did he bless them? He spoke to them. So his word positioned them. They couldn't be fruitful had God not said, be fruitful. But his word empowered them to do what he had asked them to do. Multiply. God's word empowered them. to. God's word's going to empower you. So the blessed guy loves the law of God. Why? Because it's going to empower me to win. In his law, he meditates day and night. Why? So he doesn't wander off the trail. Look at Psalms 119, verse 165. Talking about the blessed man, the man that loves God's word. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall Offend them. Are we making a connect? Are you you getting it? Go back to Psalms 1, verse 3. He's not going to be offended. He he loves the the law of God, verse 3. Psalms 1, verse 3 says something. And he shall be like a tree which is planted. Hello? Did anybody know it? He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season. He's like a tree planted. Listen, he's not a tree transplanted. He's a tree planted. We've got a master gardener here as well as, as a doctor. She's sharp. She'll tell you that every time you transplant a tree, it gets weaker. Every time you transplant a tree, it's going to get weaker. Every, why do you think the devil wants to make you mad today so that you go to a different church next weekend? Three weeks ago, you were someplace else. Now, here you are. And, and this is how we go through life. And, and we get offended and we move. 
well, I need to move before it turns to betrayal and then hatred. No, you need to get healed. You need to get in pursuit of God so that you can be planted. Like, you, know what, you know what makes a tree send its roots deep into the soil? Adversity. When the wind blows, the roots go deeper. I'm sure that the tree's standing there in the middle of a hurricane going, dear God, get me out of here. But it's getting stronger. It's getting, it's, it's getting to a place where, man, it doesn't make any difference. What happens? That tree is going to stand. It's going to produce fruit. Its leaf's not going to wither. Whatever he does is going to prosper. Why? Because he's not being moved off the target. Stop allowing life to move you off the target. Recognize disappointment when it comes. Realize disappointment when it comes. That it's an indicator. It's like the flashing lights at Dead Man's Corner. Slow down a minute. You, you want to make sure you're looking at the right thing. You want to make sure you're seeking God in this thing. Because God said, I know what I'm doing. You might think... It's out of control. What, no, no, it's not. God knows what he is doing. Yeah, but they, you know, they've turned the table. God knows what he is doing. He's going to turn things around for you. You don't even have to touch it. He's going to turn it around for you. Yeah, but my heart is broken. Well, hang in there, sweetheart. Because God's going to make sure your joy is full. He's going to bring healing to your body, prosperity to your, to your life, increase to every realm. Just don't move. This love is law. Go after God. Talk God. Think God. Walk God. Act like God would act. It's called Christ-like. Well, you're expecting an awful lot from me. No, God is. God is. God believes in you more than you do. Well, what, what about his grace? Won't his grace cover me? His grace empowers you so that you can do what he's called you to do. It does not excuse you, but it empowers you. If you keep making excuses, you're not going to make it. If you keep making excuses, according to King James Bible, your life is going to sucketh. And you're just going to go through life and whine and cry and try to find, you know, time in somebody's counseling, you know, appointment book so that you can go in and tell them about it and see if you can get them to agree with you. And if you're lucky, you'll find four or five other miserable people who will all agree that what we ought to do is kill everybody. But you won't ever get the end result that God promised. There's not enough demons in hell to separate you from the will of God. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they say. I don't care how people act towards you. I don't care how many pink slips they give you. It does not make any difference at all. If you are in pursuit of God, if you'd get serious about God instead of being serious about making a good excuse, you'd be on target for the end that God declared over you at the beginning. What can separate me from the love of God? Not height, not depth, not width, not length, 
not any other preacher, I mean creature, this creature, nothing can separate me. Nothing. Guys, i got to tell you something. There's a force that can form your future. You can allow God to rise up inside of you, to change you, to direct you, to guide you, to empower you. Or a weak, miserable force. Are you kidding me? That an excuse? You're going to let an excuse form your future? You're going to let disappointment form your future? You're going to let offense form your future? When you fall out of the stupid tree, don't, you don't have to hit every branch. You know, grab on and hang in for just a minute and realize that, wait a minute, God knows how to get around this situation, how to work through this individual, how, how, how to deal. He don't, he's not controlled by any of the things that I've let control me. I just need to get serious. I want God more than anything in my life. You know, this summer, and I'm closing now so you can relax. This, this summer, God's been speaking to me about, uh, about, you know, how to handle the summer. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to even give you the details in case I don't succeed every time. But uh, I, I'm going to go after some things, and it's going to take great discipline on me. And on the weekends, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a little bit different because we're it's a little bit more intensified. But uh, 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 Wednesday nights, we're going to continue these soaking sessions in the presence of God. And I've got a goal. I've got a goal that, that, that at least one-third of the weekend attendance will be in services on, on Wednesdays. Wednesday is the most important night of the week. And you might be sitting here going, well, man, I work on Wednesday. Well, work. You know, I, I realize that, that, that not everybody, you know, can make that happen. But here's the deal, that if you can make it to a weekend or you can make it to a Wednesday night, but you're going to miss one, miss the weekend. Because we're going after the presence of God. And, you, you know, and we stopped everything at the end of the year, and we're getting ready. You know, I can just sense it. We're probably going to relaunch some things. But everything right out of prayer. And, and you know, and if, if wow, well, I, you know, I, I've been really disappointed since, uh, uh, you know, they stopped my, my home team. Disappointment is a sign that you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to be seeking God. And let me just, let me just give you a hint that, Ministries and, and, and uh, programs that don't flow out of prayer, we're going to cut them off again. We get more people that, you know, uh, we, we, we're not here for the prayer time. We're just here for the social time. Well, then we won't have that. I'm going, I'm going after the presence of God. Because i got to tell you something. In all of our lives, there's some things that God needs the freedom to turn around. We're not going to build a, a, a facility that's, that, that can house hundreds and hundreds of people, but God won't come by. So we're going after his presence. I'm, I just want to remind you this morning that the forces that form your future will be birthed in you in the presence of God. And when we meet and we pray and we worship and we seek God together, we're going to let God change our heart. We're going to let him shape us to be people who know what it is to walk in the presence of God. Not to swing by for 30 minutes, but to literally carry that presence. We're going to practice his presence every day of the week. You're not without hope today. God has a hope and a future for you. I want to ask you to close your book and bow your heads, and we're going to pray. But if you're here in this room today, and you're trying 
to create a good life. And you, you might even be a great individual. You, you might not have evil anywhere in your heart. But if your relationship with God is not real, if it's not relevant, if you're not basing life solely off the Word of God, you're going to be disappointed. If you're here in this room today, you say, you know what, Tom? I want God in my life. I, I want to I, I receive the love and the acceptance that God offers me through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to be changed radically from the inside out today. We're going to pray a prayer. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out today. But if you're here and you say, you know what, that's me. I want the real deal. And, and, and you know, uh, I, already the prayer team's getting ready. They're going to pray with you. They're going to agree with you. And, and they're praying for you right now that the Spirit of God would move on your heart, that it would begin to, that, that, that something on the inside, you know, maybe your heart rate's increased just a little bit and your, your palms are getting sweaty. Hey, this is awesome. The best decision you've ever made in your life, you're going to make it right now. So if you're here and you say, okay, when we pray, this is going to be my personal prayer. If that's you, no one's looking around, just hold your hand up so I can see it. Say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Somebody else, that's me. I'm coming after. I'm getting serious about God. I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of, of trying to handle things on my own or tired of waiting for God to do it all. I'm ready to participate, and I want to start with a real relationship with God. Anybody else? Just real quick, we're going to pray. Hold your hand up. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. It's awesome. I want everybody in this room to pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know I need you. I need your love. I need your acceptance. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. I choose to live for you. Every day of my life, Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.